The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Today on Switched On, we're going to talk about European solar. It's booming. There's going to be a lot of solar on the grid, but can the grid handle it? That's the question we really need to get to the bottom of. And to help us really figure this out, we have brought in BNEF solar analyst Pietro Redoya, who's actually based out of our Milan office. He's here to explain the solar boom, and the conversation will be based on a report titled Europe's Subsidy-Free PV Market Takes Off. But first, we're going to talk with the head of EMEA analysis, Tom Rollins-Reese, about how the grid might accommodate a bunch of solar and wind, highlighting a recent study that BNEF completed in partnership with Axiona, and that study is titled Flexibility Solutions for High Renewable Systems, and it focuses on Spain, so hyphen Spain if you're searching for it. BNEF users can access these reports on BNEF.com, the BNEF mobile app, and the Bloomberg Terminal. As a reminder, BNEF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear a full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Dana Perkins, here with Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. Tom, thank you for joining us here today. Hi, Dana. Thank you for having me. So the big question we have is we've got lots of solar coming in in Europe, and we're going to talk about that later on with Pietro. But we want to know from you, can the grid handle it? So the flexibility report, which follows on from reports that we did for UK and Germany, um, was focused on Spain. And obviously, every market has its different dynamics. And the particular question we were trying to answer is, can we keep supply and demand in balance as more wind and solar comes onto the grid? as opposed to can the network, the the wires, the transformers handle it, which is a separate question, a separate issue. But when we're talking about matching supply and demand, we found that actually Spain has a pretty good chance of hitting its its targets. So we had different scenarios where we sort of made it easier and harder. We made batteries more expensive. We made batteries cheaper. We added lots of electric vehicles. We made them flexible. We made them inflexible. We added interconnectors to France. We tried all sorts of different things in our models to see what would happen. And the conclusion, one of the big conclusions was that whatever you do, the lowest cost system in Spain is still one based largely around wind and solar. So flexibility is not a barrier in Spain in in matching supply and demand. And a big part of that is because the country has so much hydro. It has this natural advantage in solving those problems. So hydro serves as the battery. Yeah, to, to, to some extent. They've got a head start there. Yeah, it's like having tons of batteries on the grid already before they've even started thinking about renewables. So punchline, a lot of solar coming onto the grid, but... But Spain's in a good position to handle it, at least from supply and demand point of view. So the challenge then is the network. Don't let flexibility get in the way of the solar boom. Hey, Pietro. Hi, Mark. Hi, Dana. Thanks for coming in. We understand the solar market in the EU is going under a bit of a transformation. Can you describe kind of generally what's going on? Yeah, sure. So we've noticed that there's quite a few announcements in Europe for subsidy-free projects, which are not backed by feed-in tariffs or any kind of subsidies. 
And most of these projects are getting built or will be built in Spain, Portugal and Italy. So we tracked project level data for quite a few of these projects, around 12 gigawatts. If you think about uh, Europe as a whole, next year there's going to be 18 gigawatts to come online across residential, commercial, utility scale, subsidized and non. So 12 gigawatts out of 18 is quite a considerable amount. Now, not all of that 12 gigawatts will be built next year, but it does put in context how big this market is. That 12 gigawatts will will come online via 99 projects. It's 99, not an even 100. It's quite precise. (laughs) Somebody build one more project. I know. Come on, everybody out there. (laughs) Let's do this. These are really sunny countries. So... Is it just that this is a great place for solar, so unsubsidized solar is going in there, or is there another reason? So it helps if solar irradiation is high and if you have a lot of land available, which is the case Mm. in Spain. Some of these projects have been already developed under the feed-in tariffs, so back in the boom days in 2008. And um, what's important as well is that electricity uh, prices are high. So the rationale is that instead of uh, receiving feed-in tariffs, you sell the electric, you generate electricity and sell the electricity onto the wholesale power markets, or alternatively, you can lock into a PPA. So let's go into the PPAs then. We did an episode on this a little while back with our colleague Kyle Harrison. Um, a PPA is a power purchase agreement. It's a, a, a contract for sale of power between two parties. Those parties might be a utility who's going to distribute it to you and I, you know, or to our house or to, to businesses or whatever, or it could be direct to a company that's buying power for, say, big, well, power needs, um, a data center or an industrial process or something like that. Those used to not be a thing in Europe. Why is it happening now? Okay, so out of those 12 gigawatts that we tracked of subsidy-free projects, around 5 gigawatts, 5.5 gigawatts are locked into PPAs. So... Roughly almost half of that volume is locked into PPAs. And PPAs are quite an important tool for developers to obtain debt financing. So it's a prerequisite for banks in order for them to provide financing to these projects. Why? That's because they provide long-term visibility. And the large majority of PPAs that are getting contracted are for 10-year products. Mm -hmm. But they can range country by country. Are there some countries that are shorter, some countries that are much longer? Yeah, we we noticed that um, some countries, such as Italy, are quite illiquid on the long-term products. So off-takers are keener to lock into shorter PPAs. So the five-year product is the preferred one in, in Italy. Spain is pushing for 10 to 20 year contracts. So just to get that straight, so you sign a PPA for five years, you sell power at the, at the agreed rate for five years. And then after that, you're not going to cut, you're not going to tear down your plant. You're, but you're on your own selling the power, right? To the exactly. market. Okay. Or you renegotiate and extend the PPA. Do you think you would renegotiate with the same parties or do you think you would renegotiate with somebody else? It depends uh-huh. on who gives you the best offer. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit like a home mortgage. Does, does this transition in Europe mean it's an end of subsidies for solar? And could that spread to other markets as well? I think governments in Europe are still going to run auctions, which okay. can be seen as a, a form of subsidy. 
now the revenues from these auctions, I mean, auctions are very competitive and you can see the latest results in Spain, in Portugal, the revenues are very low. So yes, these projects are locked into some form of subsidy, but it's not that high. So the but support from governments is not uh, considerable. Now, whether su uh, subsidy-free investments are going to take over as a model, it's too early to say. Uh, it might be a pocket of opportunity out there. Mm -hmm. um, time will tell. And one uncertainty with this kind of model is cannibalization of revenue streams. So as more of such projects come online, that might have an effect on power prices because PV is a non-dispatchable source of uh, electricity. You cannot turn on and switch off your uh, power plant uh, whenever needed. And ultimately, you end up with all your projects generating electricity at the same time. So the price goes lower. The price goes lower. But for the moment, I would say um, off-takers are keen on on purchasing electricity because power prices in Spain are high and the cost of generation of PV assets is low. So if you think about the levelized cost of electricity, which is one metric to measure how costly it is to generate electricity from your solar power plant, LCOEs are at around 35, 40 euros per megawatt hour compared to 55 euros per megawatt hours on the wholesale power markets. So there's a quite a widespread at the moment. Now whether that spread is going to stay sustained over the next couple or three decades is yet to see. So this, how does that play into maybe the psychology of some of the projects here? Because it certainly seems that with so many projects going into Spain... Within the investment community who are actually helping to fund these assets, why are these unsubsidized assets more popular than perhaps other subsidized assets in other locations? So subsidy-free assets um, are free from restrictions that other projects are subject to, uh, projects that apply to the auctions. So they can get built on agricultural land. Uh, there's no quotas. And so investors that previously have invested in subsidized projects are moving to this new model also because competition is slightly lower at the moment. And there are some investors that did invest in, in Iberia, in Spain and Portugal and had bad experience with feed-in tariffs and retroactive feed-in tariffs imposed by the government. So now... How long ago was that? That ago. was in 2010, yeah. December, to be precise. It, it made quite an impression for many of us to have a, a country go back and say... Because Spain yeah. was such a leader for Absolutely. You know, the early stage of the solar industry. Right? And it they, they looks like they're a leader here too. Yeah. They kind of overspent in feed-in tariffs and that generated a bubble and that bubble burst. So that was not an ideal way of subsidizing a sector. You always want to put in place stable support mechanism, just as Germany did over the years. There, there is a risk that uh, Spain might have its own smaller bubble this year. In 2019, we're expecting somewhere in between 4 to 5 gigawatts to come online because of a huge pipeline of projects uh, tendered in 2017 and some of these subsidy-free projects to come online. But uh, thanks to the good economics of subsidy-free projects, actually, we're expecting the Spanish market to continue building, probably not at the same rate. So 
there's going to be a halving of the market next year in 2020 from 4 gigawatts to 2 gigawatts. But the good thing about subsidy-free projects is that they don't need government support. And that's what certain investors like. But you would also assume that when there is a government support mechanism like an auction, it's planned out, right? We can, we can accommodate this much capacity to go onto the grid. And so therefore, we're going to auction off this amount. With subsidy-free, it's just kind of a free-for-all and you get 99 projects, right? Or four gigs this year and two next year. Can the grid accommodate this amount of solar coming on? And what is it doing or what are the TSOs doing or the transmission systems operators doing to manage things? The grid cannot accommodate all of the capacity from these uh, subsidy-free projects which are getting developed at the moment. So if you think about Spain, well... Red Eléctrica de España, which is the local transmission system operator, they received around 160 gigawatts of grid filing permits. 160 gigawatts. As of May 2019, from up from 30 gigawatts at the end of 2017. Wow. So that's a surge in grid <laughs> yeah. applications. And yeah. authorities uh, already said that a lot of that capacity will not make it online. There's no way that the country needs all that capacity. Note that Spain... Uh, across all uh, technologies has around 100 gigawatts of generation assets. So that th puts things into perspective, wow, yeah, right? definitely. So the reason why there's this surge in grid applications is because the economics are getting more attractive and there's expectation of perhaps future tenders. So uh, developers are preparing for this boom. And there's actually a secondary market of of permits, whereby the lucky developers that obtain the permits sell those on to later stage investors at a much higher price. And what we what we expect is that, that there is going to be a surge in grid applications in other countries, so high requests for nodes on the grid. But in we've already seen in Portugal auctions for grid nodes, huh. so local authorities ran an auction in July 2019 and uh, made available uh, grid connections for those developers who offered the highest bids. And some of these solar developers offered uh, up to 27 euros per megawatt hours only to use the grid uh, for a 15-year duration. Beyond that 15 years, yeah. they become the owners of the node and can uh, sell the electricity on the wholesale market free of any tariffs. To me, that's fascinating, right? You go from a market where the government is paying solar developers to put stuff on the grid because they couldn't, didn't have any, to the point where developers are paying to get onto the grid. Absolutely. It's crazy. And in Spain, CNMC, which is the competition authority, uh, announced, well, they're thinking of running similar auctions for any spare grid capacity, uh, any node which is big, bigger than 200 megawatts. So it's an interesting space. So it seems like a bit of a solar boom, so to speak, in Spain. And if you have these changing dynamics, how is anybody making any money off of it if everyone's flooding in? I would say that developers or investors which manage to get their projects online, sell the electricity onto the wholesale market, those are definitely making money out of it because the wholesale power price is high. And they're not incurring into any of these auctions at least that's true for Spain, Italy, any country outside of Portugal. So they can sell for the price that works. Exactly. Now, more solar on the grid 
the more power prices are going to depress. So that might not be the case in future. Mm -hmm. But you were saying earlier when we were in the run-up to this interview that the, the biggest beneficiary is actually the consumer. Is that right? The biggest beneficiaries, I would say, are the consumers because they no longer have to pay to subsidize clean electricity generation via their electricity bills, which has been the case so far. So if you look into your bill, at least if I look in my Italian bill, I can see a component which is essentially a tax which goes to, to subsidize existing projects. Which I imagine will you'll continue to have until those contracts run out, I guess. For the 20 years of operations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it will take, a lo it'll take a, quite a while to see the benefit shake out in this. Huh? We'll have you back here in the studio. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I have a particular interest in corporate sustainability and how companies are going about doing that. And within the PPA market, renewables PPAs are pretty popular way in the U.S. to think about reducing your carbon footprint. However, that doesn't seem to be playing out the same way in Europe. Who exactly in Europe are buying these PPAs? Because it's actually not that many companies that are looking to use it for their own personal use, is it? That's true. I would say in Europe so far, uh, large tech companies, the likes of Google, Facebook have been the most active in Northern Europe, but other companies, we haven't seen a lot of traction from other companies across Europe as a whole. So uh, there's definitely an opportunity for growth. Um, definitely the biggest off-takers of clean energy for the moment are utilities. And the reason why they do that is because prices are so low cost of generation from solar is, is low and they can sell on that electricity to other consumers, retail consumers, um, who don't necessarily want to lock into PPAs uh, for 10 years and don't want to get into that hassle. Because it's locking into a PPA and structuring a PPA is quite a task. It's not a straightforward job. Okay, so government subsidies are going away, more or less. Utilities are buying this power in PPAs and corporates are doing the same thing because it makes financial sense. And banks are getting involved in investing in these projects, you know, in, their, in the development stage. It seems like solar is growing up. Is that a fair assessment? It definitely is. But it's necessary that these three parties you mentioned work together so that these projects can, can actually break the ground. And that's where we're seeing a big hurdle. Um, developers working with banks and working with off-takers so that they all agree on the terms of the PPA on the term of the financing. But it seems like the market is moving ahead and also the parties uh, involved in, in the project finance structuring are maturing and growing up. Pietro, thanks for coming in. You're welcome, Mike. Thanks, Dana. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.